Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. When The New Yorker magazine asked Mark Zuckerberg how he gets his news, he said the one news source he definitely follows is Tech Meme. For more than two years and nearly 700 episodes, the Tech Meme Ride Home has been Silicon Valley's favorite tech news podcast. The Tech Meme Ride Home is a daily podcast, only 15 to 20 minutes long, and every day by 5 p.m. Eastern, it's all the latest tech news. But it's more than just headlines. You can get a robot to read your headlines. The Tech Meme Ride Home is all the context around the latest news of the day. It's all the top stories, the top posts and tweets and conversations about those stories, as well as behind-the-scenes analysis. The Tech Meme Ride Home is like TLDR as a service. The folks at Tech Meme are online all day reading everything so they can catch you up. So listen to the one podcast anyone who's anyone in Silicon Valley listens to every single day. Search your podcast app now for Ride Home and subscribe to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. I'm Jason Kander, and this is Majority 54, the podcast that helps the 54% who did not vote for Donald Trump talk to those of us who did about the most divisive issues in our country. This week, we have a special guest co-host, my friend, Stephanie Shriok. Since Stephanie Shriok became president in 2010, Emily's List has seen unprecedented growth, helped elect record numbers of women to the House and Senate, and recruited and trained thousands of pro-choice Democratic women to run for office. Uh, At the start of the 2018 election cycle, Stephanie promised Nancy Pelosi that Emily's List women would take back the majority in the U.S. House for Democrats. She kept that promise, with Emily's List women alone flipping more than enough districts to secure the Democratic majority. Originally hailing from the mining town of Butte, Montana, Stephanie has now been fighting to elect Democrats for more than 20 years, and in a lot of red states, by the way, so she's perfect for this podcast. In 2004, she served as the National Finance Director for Howard Dean's presidential campaign, where she was at the center of the team that created the online fundraising model that ushered in the era of digital fundraising, laying the groundwork for President Barack Obama's and Secretary Hillary Clinton's future presidential campaigns. I've campaigned with her in several states, and I so enjoy her company that last time we hung out, we actually forgot to even talk about politics. Uh, so with that, Stephanie, thank you so much for being here. Jason, it is such an honor, and I I look forward to campaigning with you again soon, because I, I miss that. We always have such a great time. Deal. All right. Let's start with the news of the week. Ravi, what do you have for us? With two weeks until he formally accepts the party's nomination, former Vice President Biden spent last weekend, according to his aides, drilling down on vetting materials and narrowing his list down to three to four candidates. He planned to have met with each finalist in person or virtually this week, likely before this podcast even airs. And the consensus among the press seems to be that Senator Kamala Harris, Representative Karen Bass, and former National Security Advisor Susan Rice were most likely to make the final cut with Representative Val Demings and Senator Elizabeth Warren also in consideration. Stephanie, uh, what do you think Biden is looking for in these final interviews and will he surprise us next week? 
I would not want to be in Vice President Biden's shoes on this choice. These are extraordinary, ambitious, smart women who are ready to to take this on on day one. And so I don't have a gut feeling on this. I know all of them very, very well. Um, Emily's List has supported um, all of them who have an, an elected title in front of in front of their names. You know, this is such an important choice. And I think what's really critical to remember is that Joe Biden's going to make the choice he needs for a partner to fix this country. Like we are broken and we are getting more broken every day under the Trump administration. And so I think he's just really looking for somebody who is going to stand by his side and really be a partner in this. And so much of this has to do with how they get along and how they work together. And it's hard for any of us to understand how that that magic is, right? That just happens usually in person in person meetings. And I hope they have the opportunity to do that. Yeah, I think that one thing's for sure that he knows the job, obviously, of vice president. And so it's not going to be a political choice, in, in my opinion. I mean, I guess that kind of goes with that saying when you have a, a pretty good position in the polls. And I, I don't know all of the people who are on the quote-unquote shortlist, but I, I know about half of them, and I totally agree. I think they're all excellent choices. And it's interesting. I feel like we're in a different place as a country. Usually it's like a huge deal. We're all waiting on it. And I feel like at least as Democrats, we're mostly like, can we just get to the election? Like, whoever you pick, we're sure they're going to be great. Let's just have the election. That's I love that you said that because you're even seeing that in, in some polling is that you know, like these women are all really good. They're going to be good compliments. They all bring different strengths. That's what's also very cool. I mean, Karen Bass, completely different than an Elizabeth Warren, different than a Kamala Harris. Uh, and so you've got these very different leaders, personalities, what they bring to the table. Uh, but it's also just, you're exactly right, Jason. We're like, okay, we're with whoever he chooses. Like, let's just go. We've got your back. We're in this to win it. And that's like, we need a winning ticket. We're going to have one. Let's get this done. A lot of people are, were speculating as to why he's waiting to next week. But, um, you know, some people like Dan Pfeiffer have done some good work to, to show just quantitatively that this is actually not late to announce the pick. Like usually you announce it a few days before the convention so that you have some momentum heading into the convention. You know, chances are, even if he's made up his mind today or even by Sunday, uh, only a single digit uh, amount of people will know about who it really is. And, you know, funny, quick story I've never told before. Candor knows this, but I used to be David Axelrod's assistant during the general election in 2008. And one of my jobs, and I, I had no real responsibility, to be clear. I just checked his email and responded to stuff. But one of the cool things about checking somebody's email is that you get information before anybody else does. But they had created a system so that even I and anybody who just supported him and anybody else involved in the selection process wasn't supposed to know who the vice president was going to be. So they created separate email addresses to communicate about who the vice president was. But somebody accidentally emailed his real email and he quickly deleted it. But I saw it in time. And so I was sitting on the Biden announcement days early. So by some stroke of luck, I think I was one of the first people ever to find out about Biden, not because anybody really cared about any opinion I had about it, but because they accidentally sent it to the wrong email address. So for days, I was like in headquarters in Illinois, 
and oh. people were speculating about who it was, oh and I, I had the information super early, and I remember. Does, Zach, does Zach know that story? He does not know. So he, I will. He does now. <laughs> I was like, because Christina Reynolds, who's our VP of Communications at Emily's List, has been involved in all these presidential campaigns, and and reminds me every day. She's like, Tim Kaine wasn't announced until the Friday before the convention. I'm like, oh, that's right. You know, I'm like, oh, right, right. So uh, quickly before we move off of this, and Stephanie. You don't have to play along if you don't want to, but uh, I want some quick predictions here. And Jason, I think we should make a friendly wager on this, uh, on who we think is going to be next. So, uh, I'll be the monitor of the wager uh, and be enough. staying out of this. But uh, Jason, why don't you go first? Who do you think it's going to be? So my prediction has changed three times in the last few days, but currently I'm going to predict Kamala Harris. And uh, they're all awesome, obviously, but my reasoning is that because they're all awesome, I think it comes down to two things. One, I just think that the best person for this job right now is a woman of color. So I think that's part of it. We're at a point in this country where that's an important qualification for this job, in my opinion. And I don't mean, I want to be clear. I don't mean like, so it's not the best person for, I mean, like, that's part of being the best person for this job right now. And then the other part of it is, frankly, not knowing uh, all of the others, I think the other tiebreaker for him is, who do I want to have lunch with once a week? And, you know, in my experience, Kamala Harris is just really fun to hang out with. And I think that that can be a tiebreaker here. You definitely couldn't go wrong with her. I'm going to go with my former boss, Susan Rice. Partially Shocker. Be- yeah. <laughs> oh, that's bias. <laughs> this is going to be a big year. It's going to be Buffalo Bills Super Bowl victory and Susan whoa, Rice, vice whoa. president. This um, is... There's yeah. a lot uh, of predictions going huge. on here. Okay, you're huge. you're now you're crazy. Uh, so uh, she's uh and Biden knows this from working with her. She's incredibly hardworking. She's not a politician, which I think in some ways could be a strength here, and knows how government works. In many ways, she could be like the benign Cheney, like the progressive Cheney of this administration, somebody who knows how government works, can make things happen, but isn't evil and isn't gonna bring us into war. So I think that she would be strong. And I think that they know each other really well. But Jason, if you're right, I'll eat some cottage cheese with what is it, hot sauce? Is that your thing? Yeah. All right. And if like I'm this. if I'm right, what I want you to do is record uh, the next pod uh, wearing Buffalo Bills gear. Oh, this these are not proportional. Like, wow. <laughs> wow. I don't know about this. <laughs> well, what I think mine is worse. It's just wearing something. It's just, you know, one. Well, one you are, you're gonna have to but... eat you're gonna have to eat that on video though. So we can Yeah, it's gross. Yeah, don't you think, Stephanie, just hearing those two that like, mine is worse? Like having to do I with will, it. I know I you gotta I say will. my father lives in Overland Park, Kansas, and is a gigantic Kansas City Chiefs fan. I just like no, I'm not sure. This sounds like it might break Jason. Well, let's put it out to Twitter and whoever has the best idea. Yeah. That's not involving me wearing regalia that is not the Super Bowl champions, then we'll we'll do that. So of course the VP nod isn't the only big news of the week. Our country continues to grapple with the coronavirus nightmare, and Dr. Deborah Burks, who coordinates the White House Coronavirus Task Force, had this to say in a Sunday appearance on CNN. We are in a new phase, and that's why I really wanted to make it clear to the American people. It's why we started putting out governor reports directly to the health officials and the governors in every single state. But more importantly, if you're in multi-generational households and you're an outbreak in your rural area or in your city, you need to really consider wearing a mask at home, assuming that you're positive if you have individuals in your households with comorbidities. 
And in response to that assessment and recommendation, Trump called Burks's interview performance pathetic. Uh, and you can guess there's an exclamation point at the end of that. And he suggested that her comments about a new phase were an effort to curry favor with Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Former Vice President uh, Joe Biden responded to Trump in a tweet on Monday afternoon saying, quote, it's hard to believe this has to be said. But if I'm elected president, I'll spend my Monday mornings working with our nation's top experts to control this virus, not insulting them on Twitter. Stephanie, you work with a lot of candidates around the country who are uh, both running for office, sometimes running for reelection, and, and many people who are currently in elected office. How are you advising people to navigate this chaotic and scary time when we lack leadership at the highest level? Well, it is a perfect example for voters of why we need new leadership or why we need to keep the Democrats in office that we have and a Democratic majority in the House. The truth is, is this is crazy. Like there are no campaign headquarters if you're smart, right? In a real way, you're trying to do this like we're doing this now over Zoom and trying to figure out like, how do you communicate with voters? How do you communicate with your activists? You know, this, for years, we've been sitting with our legislative candidates trying to change all of these legislative chambers around the country. And what do you do typically in a legislative race? You go hit doors. And we would literally be like, how many doors did you hit tonight? How many people did you talk to? And like, no doors, you don't go to doors. And that's just not how it works anymore. And, and, and so it's really been, uh, like a high level of learning fast. And these candidates have been awesome. I, I think it's a really interesting moment too, because for the last few years, ever since Trump was elected, we've been, as Democrats, we've been saying something to each other that is a hopeful thing that I think wasn't really true yet, which was by 2020, people are just going to want adults in charge. And I remember hearing a lot of people say that in conversation and thinking, I'm not sure that we're not going to still want the most outrage, you know, as a country, that people aren't still going to go for the most outrageous, most entertaining thing. And I now feel with stuff like Trump attacking his own experts and engaging in all this magical thinking, I actually do now feel very confident that we've arrived at a point where this affects everyone. And as a result, I think voters overwhelmingly, or at least the vast majority are like, let's just get some adults in charge, which makes this an interesting moment for candidates in that they may be able to do this in a very straightforward way. Just, I'm going to rely on science. Here's what I think makes sense. And that in, in races that are winnable, that should be enough, I think. Yeah. And we're also seeing that uh, our candidates who come from healthcare industry, hospitals, nurses, doctors, uh, and scientists are actually doing quite well uh, electorally or getting extra bumps in that. So just to kind of back up Jason's point, they are looking, they're looking for experts and they're looking for leaders and they're looking for grownups who are just going to follow the science. Let's get this, you know, let's get this behind us, recognizing that, I mean, particularly after this summer. Given, you know, the thrust of this podcast, we want to arm people here with information you could use to help lock those voters in. And there has been no better piece of ammunition than this uh, Jonathan Swan interview with Donald Trump and on Axios on Monday. In one telling exchange, Trump said the administration is doing an incredible job with the pandemic and that they have it under control. And Swan did an incredible job pushing back. Let's listen to the exchange. We would have lost millions of people. And those people that really understand it, 
they really understand it. They said it's incredible the job that we've done. And again, I bring who, it up. who the says ban, that? the ban banning China from coming in. But it was already it was already in here. By the time. It? it was already here. Television on Saturday night. And nobody says I think, that. I think you misunderstand me. I'm criticizing your ability to draw a crowd. Are well, you kidding me? I'm I've covered you for five this. years. You draw massive I'm crowds, you get this. huge ratings. I'm asking about At the public the time, health. And I canceled another one. I had to cancel it. Right. We're going to have a great crowd in New Hampshire, and I canceled it for the same reason. But here's the question. It, you know, I've covered you for a long time. I've, I've gone to your rallies. I've talked to your people. They love you. They listen to you. They listen to every word you say. They hang on your every word. They don't listen to me or the media or Fauci. They think we're fake news. They want to get their advice from you. And so when they hear you say everything's under control, don't worry about wearing masks, I mean, these are people, many of them are older people, well, Mr. President. What's your definition of control? Yeah. Under the it's giving them a false sense right of security. Now, I think it's under control. I'll tell you what. How? A thousand Americans are dying a day. They are dying. That's true. And you ha it is what it is. But that doesn't mean we aren't doing everything we can. It's under control as much as you can control it. This is a horrible plague that beset us. You really think this is as much as we can control it? Oh, I know. You guys stop it. I can't. I can't hear anymore. I can't. <laughs> Stephanie, it is what, what it is. Like, that is so offensive. Uh, just the whole, and it's so offensive. Stephanie, um, do you think we might see that on an ad somewhere? That is what it oh, is. Oh yeah, I would imagine so. <laughs> I would imagine so in lots of places, and not just at the presidential level, but probably at the Senate level too, and 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 down. This electorate could be fifty-five percent women. And women in this country are, you know, we're, we're talking about essential workers. We're talking about uh, women getting hit harder in the economic uh, hit in the recession, soon to be depression, it feels like, than men are. We're talking about caregivers who are worried about their parents and their grandparents and worried about their kids. And they're going to hear this. And you think they're going to you think they're going to go vote with him? Yeah, and Jason, you've been talking a lot about the president as as a, the the sort of example setter in chief, and this clip gives us a lot on that front, doesn't it? Two things it says to me: one, it's just a reminder, and Swan makes this point that when you're the president, you know you're not just technically the leader of the country on paper, and not just for the people who voted for you. You're you're the moral and cultural leader of the country in a de facto sense because you're the person who everybody knows has the most information and who you're the one person who everybody knows who that is. And it just is one more thing that makes me feel like I cannot wait until we have a new president, someone who understands like everything they say is influencing people whether they voted for them or not and it's in this case is affecting their health. The other thing it makes me think of is when you're talking about this election and about interviews like this one to persuadable voters in your life, I look at this as a parent. And, and I watched this interview and all the parts where he pulled out all the little color charts and all the little things that were clearly just made and tailored just for him to make him feel better. And I thought, that's why I'm making sure not to overly protect my son from failure in his life. So that when he gets older, he has the ability to absorb little failures, take responsibility for them, and not have to have his emotions protected from the fact that in this case, like with Trump, and I hope my son is never responsible for hundreds of thousands of deaths, uh, of deaths but good God, if he ever is, I hope he has the ability to say, okay, I'm going to do something different now. Yeah, there were a few more notable moments from this Axios interview, and 
there was another one that I want to play, which is there was uh, there was a clip where Trump said uh, some people say that you could test too much, and Swan's reaction made me both laugh and cry. Let's play that clip. And you know there are those that say you can test too much. You do know that. Who says that? Oh, just read Who? the manuals, read the books. Manuals. Read the what books. Manuals. Read the books. What books? What testing does? Who, no, no, sorry. Just, just, wait a minute. Who said let me let me explain. All right. So. First of all, it's worth mentioning, I don't know a lot about Jonathan Swan, uh, and so if there are skeptics of him out there, I don't don't come at me because I'm super uninformed, but this interview, just as a standalone piece of journalism, is incredible. He did such a great job of pinning Trump down, and I think this is even the next, we gave Wallace a lot of credit last time, but this is almost next level, how informed Swan is and how quick he is and courageous he is to jump on Trump here. But Jason... You know, you were, you know, it was a long time ago now we're, we're in school, but doesn't this kind of remind you of somebody who just isn't prepared for class and gets called on and is like, yeah, it's in the reading. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. wait, what, where? <laughs> this this is me in contracts in law school. I, like, I, remember, I, I remember once, because I was also doing uh, army training at the same time, so I would like doze off occasionally. But I'm also, as n- noted by our fierce uh, disagreement over whether I'll wear Bill's stuff. I'm a fierce Kansas City partisan, right? And so I remember once being half asleep in class and somebody mentioned Kansas City and, you know, it said, is anybody, the teacher, the professor said, is anybody here from Kansas City? And I just, not even thinking, my hand shot up and I did not think about the fact that I did none of the reading and he was referring to the case and I sounded for the next two minutes exactly like Trump sounds in this interview. This was not the only part of the interview that was super embarrassing I think almost the most revealing part of this interview was when the president was asked about John Lewis. And instead of like any human being who grew up in America uh, and even probably many people who didn't, uh, who would mention, you know, maybe John Lewis's civil rights record, uh, his record fighting for racial justice and voting rights and um, putting his life on the line uh, for civil disobedience, even Republican politicians, as we described, who sometimes clumsily attempted to give John Lewis credit for that, understand that that's the thing that you say. And most people just generally believe it as, as Americans and as patriots. Trump couldn't muster a single historical fact and could only remember that John Lewis didn't attend his inauguration and his State of the Union addresses. What does that say about how Trump thinks about American history and his own presidency? I mean, I think he thinks it started... January of 2017. <laughs> American history? Like, yeah. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. <laughs> right. It's like being at dinner with somebody, you know, and you have like this amazing story to tell and everything they say in response is it bringing it back to their own life, you know? <laughs> and and their stories aren't even that good. No. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, it's so true. Like, but this is also this, I mean, he's done this over and over again. Like none of that, I mean, it broke my heart. I think what's most what what I worry about sometimes is we do tend to talk about this these pieces of him, which we know that those of us who don't like him know. I think I think it's more important though to lift it back up and go, what is he doing to this country? Because sometimes I think these are the things that take us off like the larger problem, which is like he's literally tearing apart the fabric of this nation. I think you make a really good point that it's really easy for all of us to get distracted by his personality. Oh, I'll just stop there. Distracted by his personality and what we dislike about it. But we have to 
in a campaign connect it to how it affects people. And Ravi, to your point, he is the person who always makes it about himself. He's the person who, if you show somebody a picture of your kid, they show you a picture of their dog. Like it's the same thing. Like that's that's who he is. And because it's always about him. And if it's always about him, that's why he's unwilling to do anything to respond to COVID, unwilling to do anything to help the average person, because it's always about him. And, and it's just one more example of how our argument with our friends and colleagues and coworkers and everybody has to be. It's not about you. It's about him. So, Ravi, what would you say is the most valuable thing in your apartment? And also, if you would provide your home address. My sister made me a little collage book many years ago. Uh, and I imagine there's a lot of robbers out there trying to get it. Yeah. And that is why you're so happy to have it protected with Simply Safe. Am I correct? That's right. Jason, why is Simply Safe so amazing? Look, it's got everything you need to protect your picture book that your sister gave you to tell you what a great big brother you are because it's got none of the drawbacks of traditional home security. It's got an arsenal of sensors and cameras to blanket every room, window, and door tailored specifically for your apartment. Professional monitoring keeps watch day and night, ready to send police, fire, or medical professionals if there's an emergency. You can set it up yourself in under an hour. You just peel and stick the sensors exactly where you need them. You don't need a technician. So there's no contract, no pushy sales guys, no hidden fees, no fine print. I'm not the only one who thinks Simply Safe is great. U.S. News and World Report named it the best overall home security of 2020. So try Simply Safe today at simplysafe.com/majority54. That's simply with an I. That's S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E.com/majority54, and you get free shipping on a 60-day risk-free trial. There's nothing to lose. That's simplysafe.com. Slash majority 54. Jason, you know what my favorite app right now is on my phone? I'm feeling like it could be Blinkist. That's right. So let me tell you listeners about Blinkist. Right now I have like hundreds of books that I've been waiting to get to and I know I will never get to them. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need to know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down to just 15 minutes that you could read or listen to. Jason, what have you been checking out on Blinkist right now? One of the things that's been next to my bed for a really long time is that book, Sapiens. Kind of intimidating and overwhelming. Dude, I just did that so on Blinkist big. this week. Yeah, and that's Same. that's my... I, I'm reading that tonight on Blinkist. So instead of it being like a giant thick book, it's a 19-minute read, and I'll be able to pretend I read the entire book, which I'm pretty pumped about. One thing I've been doing on Blinkist is actually going back and listen to Blinks of books I've already read. Daily Stoic, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. These are all just Blinks that I went through this week. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Majority54, try it free for seven days, and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Majority54 to start your free seven-day trial and you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash Majority54. Stephanie, we have a segment we call Quarantine Corner where we share something about our week, whether it's a book we read, a movie or show we watched, a personal win, etc. Jason, why don't you kick us off? I'm going to be really quick. Uh, I forgot to do this last week. Two weeks ago, I said that my wife makes fun of me because I cried during Notting Hill, and my wife listened to that and said, that is not true. I never made fun of you for crying during a movie, that, and, and I realized she's right. So I just am using my quarantine corner to uh, correct 
the record and say Diana would never do that. Many people say you cry during Notting Hill. Many no, 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 I cry. That's it's just <laughs> I'm correcting the whole. I'm correcting the part where she made fun of me. Oh, that's nice. I've decided. I had decided over uh, this was a couple months ago that I needed to rewatch all the Marvel movies. <laughs> And so this week I just finished Endgame and then I kind of forgot it because I, I, I'd seen it. It's like awesome and like really sad at the same time. Uh, and I loved it. <laughs> and I'm not ashamed because then you got Captain Marvel who came in at the end. And she's such a badass. I just swore on your show. Sorry. Right, so good. Okay. okay. So Any, she's awesome. She's awesome. No fucking problem. It's all, thank worry. you. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, because like, you know, you watch, sometimes you just need some escapism, but you also like, there is a terrible threat that is destroying the world and everybody came together to save the day. And that's what I needed this week and over this entire. Right so now I got a, I got another. If anybody's got recommendations for the next round of movies I need to watch, because I just did all the Marvel, all of them. I did them all. This will double as my answer and a recommendation is uh, I took a, in the arena office we have uh, in New York, which is across the street from my apartment. We have like 20 projectors because we hold these big training events uh, that are obviously not happening during COVID. So we, tra- we we store them in the office. And so this weekend, I grabbed one of the projectors and brought it to the roof and just projected uh, movies onto the wall. And it looks really good and sounds surprisingly uh, good. And so I watched the Before Trilogy this weekend again. And I, for those of you who know me, you know I've watched these way too many times. But that's a recommendation if you haven't seen Before Sunset. Before okay, Sunrise, I haven't. I'm in. Very different feel than the Avengers movies, but um, very good. Uh, And this is just in line with our message that, you know, Jason and I are just really sensitive human beings who like to watch romantic comedies and romantic movies um, because we have such big hearts. We have a segment called Unsolicited Campaign Advice, uh, where we give just a really quick tidbit uh, for folks out there in the field. Stephanie, what do you have for us? Well, we need everybody more than ever now because it's more complicated. Volunteer, that might be texting, that might be calling, that might be going through your social media, joining Zoom calls with the campaigns, with their volunteers. All of that's really, really helpful because this is hard. And um, I'm just asking for like everybody, we got we to gotta do our extra work here. Yeah, I agree. Creating that momentum that you usually get by meeting voters and volunteers and seeing everybody doing everything you can to create that. I totally agree. Well, we have some awards to give out and we're going to give out two this week. Let's start with the uh, Lindsey Graham total submissile and capitulation award. Uh, Jason, what do we have? So this week it goes to every elected Republican in Washington who continues to pretend that the Russian bounty story never happened. I mean, not to go and revisit this every week, but obviously it it upsets me and it should upset every American. Um, But they definitely are trying to engage in the same magical thinking that the president's trying to engage in when he makes up statistics about COVID. They're just pretending this didn't happen, even to the point of not calling the president on it when he said this week, well, you know, some people have said that's fake news. Of course, by some people, we mean no people. And so as a result, uh, I just think, they're submitting and capitulating, and I think it's wrong. Yeah, and I think this is especially important if, and I'm going to stay on message here, if, let's say, Susan Rice is the vice president, I think patriotism will be will be on the ballot even more than it is right now in the sense of, like, they're going to try to drag us into a Benghazi debate. And I think it's important to point out these situations like Ukraine or Bounty Gate 
where it's so egregious how unpatriotic this administration is, and we got to keep it on that ground. The Democrats uh, in the House and the Senate, Senator Tammy Duckworth, you know, Iraq War veteran herself, um, really trying, trying, doing everything they can to hold this administration accountable, you know, on this and so many issues. I just a big shout out to those. This is not easy for them either, and they are trying to to hold this administration accountable. And um, I'm really grateful to to folks like Senator Duckworth. Ravi, I want to point out for everybody listening, you know, in the thrust of the show, what you can do to talk about this issue, continue to talk about this issue with the people in your lives. You know, as Trump is out there saying, well, you know, this is fake news. And as they're trying to make it seem like this isn't the big deal, it is. I would point out to people that we've sort of forgotten that one of the many, you know, justifications for getting us to invade Iraq was that Saddam used to, as a means of placating them, he used to send bounties to suicide bombers in Israel and other parts of the Middle East. So, How is it that, you know, this happens with the Russians and we're like, you know, this sort of thing happens all the time. But, you know, several years ago, Republicans were saying that this was a reason to invade a country that didn't attack us. Right. The scandal of this week is that the president talked to Putin and he didn't even ask about it. And so even if the president, you buy what the president is saying, which is that the the intelligence is inconclusive, which he reads as not true, which is not the same as inconclusive. You're not going to ask the guy if you're going to be on the phone with him about this. You know, Putin was probably super prepared for this and was like, wow, this guy is just a complete moron. Um, He didn't even ask me about it. At this point, I think if in a few years it is revealed that Trump owed nothing to the Russians, I can't imagine anything that would be more shocking in the next decade than if that turns out to be the case. Right. All right. Let's also give out a Kellyanne Conway Alternative Facts Award. Uh, who can we recognize this week? Well, this is going to be a quick one. Um, I want to give this out to the convention planners for the GOP, especially the spokesperson for the GOP convention, who says that the press will not be allowed in to the in-person part of the GOP convention. And so this is just a this is a proactive way to win a Conway Award, which is they're creating an environment for alternative facts. And so I want to recognize just their forward planning, getting a little proactive, getting ahead of their uh, their month, uh, and just ensuring that the press isn't even there to report the facts on the ground and their rabid, misinformed supporters who are going to be there cheering the president on. Yeah, they're embracing the propaganda model. I mean, I mean, they're like, Fox News can't come in? Yeah, Jason, they've read Atomic Habits, I think. So they know that just to get a little <laughs> bit done every day, and then it won't it won't catch up with you. Well, then it seems like the that President Trump is mad at Fox News now. Even like no no one is good enough for all of this. And this convention situation for for both parties in the middle of COVID obviously is really really challenging. And we're we're still the Democrats are still trying to figure out exactly what this is going to look like. And the local leaders in so many ways, including and I don't say this very often, but including some good local Republican leaders are like we have to care about the safety of our community. Frankly. It's going to be very interesting what both these conventions look like. That brings us to uh, the midlife crisis corner. And Stephanie, this is where we uh, we talk about some tips, whether it's fitness, sleep, nutrition, sanity, etc. We're not saying anything about what part of your life you're in. This is just a jab. <laughs> I was like, ourselves. what is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> this is a, Jason, this is a standing segment. Standing segment, not not specific to you, uh, Jason. Uh, what do you have for us? Ravi, by the way, is really gun shy because he he really stepped in it with Stacey Abrams a few weeks ago. So that's, <laughs> I, that's why all the that's why all the disclaimers. Some would say mm-hmm. some would say I I called her old indirectly. Oh. Uh, One of those people is Stacey Abrams. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
is, by the right, way, not, uh, not 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 right. old. Oh, no, you're good. Wait, look at look at look at Stephanie getting on record. I just want to know. <laughs> In fact, I think we're the. We might be close to the same age, actually. Shame, shame on me. Shame on me. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. So I'm up first. I'll just say. Uh, my son, my wife cuts my hair, cuts my son's hair, and she gave my son like a fantastic uh, stripe down the middle mohawk. And I think, given that, I mean, this beard for one is evidence that we're in a time where you know it doesn't matter as much. Like we can try things. I think sometime this week I'm going to ask my wife to give me my son's haircut. I think that'll be fun. <laughs> Stephanie, what do you have? That does seem a little midlife crisis, though. I will say, yeah, it it does. It does. It's right on brand. (laughs) I was on a fundraising call with Senator Jean Shaheen, who I just absolutely adore and have known for a long time since her first. Actually, I knew her as governor, pre even me being at Emily's list, and so we've really known each other for a long time. And we're in the back in the the back room of of the Zoom fundraiser and. She's been great. She's like, oh, you've lost all this weight. And I have. I've been really healthy and I've been trying to walk four to five miles a day. And I'm like, I'm on it. If I'm going to not travel, I'm going to be healthy. And this is a whole new thing. So I feel good. Uh, and so I'm like, thank you so much. I've, I've, you know, yeah, I have lost weight, doing really well. And she's like, and she goes, but you have COVID hair. <laughs> and I was like, it was like you're my mother came down from heaven who's been gone for 13 years, came through Jean Jean. It was like, Stephanie, cut your hair, seriously. I'm like, and don't look at the top. So it was like, okay, I got to do something on my hair because Senator Shane's like, you have COVID hair. I love you, Jean Jean. It was very funny. And you are not wrong. <laughs> Well, I, not knowing what the right thing to say is here, I'll just say I think it was great. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. Ditto. Mostly because you can't see the top. I'm not stepping it ever again on this You can't segment, see the top it, of it. it looks <laughs> but it was, very, it was very funny. I'll be fast uh, for this one. During most of the quarantine, like I didn't leave the house. I was down in Nashville for a big chunk. Uh, and so didn't have any opportunity to socialize at all. And I think since I've been back in New York, they have all these outdoor cafes, which are really wonderful. And given the space constraints of New York, there's literally not much else you could do than sit in these places. And so what has happened over the past few weeks is I've had way more alcohol than I normally do, uh, just because you're sitting outside, you're working with your laptop, whatever. And so I had to set a rule over the past week where I don't drink, or two weeks now, where I don't drink during the weekdays. And so that has worked really well for me. My whoop recovery scores and everything else energy wise has been really awesome. And so I'm going to keep that up. That's, that's good. Big. That's huge. Good for you. I try, I tried that the first week of the, of the quarantine, that rule, my best friend and I, and <laughs> we get to Monday Didn't night, we decide on the weekend when Monday night comes, <laughs> I was like, I've had the worst day. And she has like, I've had the worst day. I was like, maybe we shouldn't be taking things out. We can add things into our lives and we can't take things out. <laughs> <laughs> so good for you. I'm super impressed, Robbie. Like super impressed. Yeah, I'm proud of me too. Yeah, you should be. Too, you should you. be. <laughs> we always end with, with a call to action. We call it grab an oar. So Stephanie, you have anything to share? Grab an oar. We are within, I mean, what are we, 93 days out? I don't even have the count right anymore because I lose track of time. This election is everything. And so... I need everybody who's listening, one, to adopt a candidate, and two, if you can go help 
at the polls, if you can be a poll worker, if you have the ability to do that, I am begging you, I'm begging you to do this because we need people and you get paid by the way, like you get paid for a day and it's a civic duty and it'll make you feel like a good American and we need you so, so, so desperately. So one, adopt a candidate, but two, if you can be, you know, one, if you can work a poll or be a poll watcher for, for the party, we need both, but you get paid to be a poll watch or a poll worker. So please, please, please do that. It's a great point. Just to underline it, if we don't have enough poll workers and traditionally poll workers are older people and that's why we may not have enough, they're going to close polling places. And that means longer lines. And it, I mean, it's a form of voter suppression and we can prevent it. I agree by having enough poll workers. All right. First of all, Stephanie, thank you so much for being with us this week. We really appreciate it. Always good to hang out with you. I'm going to plug all social media handles here. Uh, Ravi is Ravi M. Gupta on Instagram and Twitter. Stephanie is Shriok1, S-C-H-R-I-O-C-K-1 on Twitter. I'm at Jason Cantor on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and there's always at Majority54 on Twitter. As y'all have probably noticed, we've been trying some new stuff with segments, guests, formats. Tell us what is working for you. Leave a review. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch and Edie Allard. Theme music provided by Kemet Coleman. Special thanks to Diana Cantor. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.